virtues. Sorry, you're going to have to start over. Oh. Hey there, readers. I'm Cal Spivey, and this is another read-through. In this episode, our bookseller Margaret interviews author Nancy Slavin. This is Margaret. I'm a bookseller at another read-through bookstore. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Thanks for having me. My first question is if you can think of a moment in your life when you felt like all your pistons were firing, that elusive moment that you can only see in hindsight and go, oh, yeah, that was good. It was, and it was elusive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually can think of that because I once heard the author, Jess Walter, Mm -hmm. who wrote Financial Lives of Poets. I love that book. And I think it was about that book that he talked about once in your life as an author, you get the one book that just downloads from the Mm. ether and the universe and just comes straight out. You know, obviously not perfectly in a first draft, but all the ideas are there beginning to middle to end. Miraculously, when I was a relatively new mother, I think my daughter was was four. I was going back to teaching. I taught at a small rural community college just doing that work and somehow still managed to do a NaNoWriMo book. Uh I've done NaNoWriMo I think five times. That was the only time I won (laughs) where I actually completed it and I really wrote a book. It so came out of the other work I had done for a long, long time which was violence prevention education and I just really needed to write that story down. It was really based on the work I had done with young adults who were at risk that has air quotes around it and what it's like to be you know a young adult in a world where depending on what your background is it might not be made for you also how to be empowered to make your own choices that was what that book was about and I really wrote it I remember being in I think a cafe I had this really good feeling where I thought I am doing all these things and I also am raising a child who is being fed and clean (laughs) that was a that was a good couple months Then it was over. So NaNoWriMo winner. Awesome. Awesome. Join One you time. In that. That's and super a, fun. And I, a non-winner many times. Did you use the online tools? I love the people? online tools. The NaNoWriMo graph that we get to use during that time is right? just the best. I love so that one simple. more than anything else. I've tried other apps. <laughs> Somehow, only NaNoWriMo works for me. I haven't figured it out why that one works, but behaviorally, I really like it. And just for people who haven't done it, this NaNoWriMo graph we're talking about is literally like a bar graph with the number of words you've done every day measured against the line of the average you have to complete by the end of the month to get to the 50,000 total. So it's really basic. It's like Pavlov's dog. Right. (laughs) And it totally works. somehow works. But it is knowing that you have this limited time and then the community. Mm -hmm. You know, the little pep talks that they get from other authors to write I think are super helpful and just the commitment. What's the novel that you were talking about just then? That's not Moorings, is it? That is not Moorings. That was a young adult novel. People have told me that book is probably dead. I think it is. It's too bad though because it really had a great Me Too kind of story Mm. from the perspective of a a person who lives in a rural poor county, which I think is important. I don't know what I'll ever do with it necessarily, but I definitely needed a break because obviously I wrote the book, then I rewrote the book, then I queried the book and did all that stuff and then I got the agent and I thought okay that's great and it was she was a good agent and she just couldn't sell it for whatever reason sometimes yeah. that happens I had rewritten it after she couldn't sell it then I put it in the drawer that period of time from the time I wrote it and was firing on all pistons to when she decided she wasn't going to sell it was five years so does that feel like a long time or a short time to you now well that felt like a reasonable time it would have been a lot nicer if she had sold it right. and you know had she even sold it in whatever that would have been 2017 it still might not have even been published 
published yet, right? right, right. So theoretically, I could still publish that on my own or do something with it. But I, I didn't know about the timing because of what the story's about. So I moved on to other things. I mean, yeah. it was very disappointing. And yeah. so I dealt with the disappointment. I had to kind of mourn the right. whole thing. I cared about that book a lot because it was so based on the work I had done where I cared about actual people a lot. I don't know what'll happen with it. How has your definition of success changed as yeah. you've been in the business? That's a good question. In some ways, it hasn't changed. I knew that being a writer was about writing, just sitting down and writing. Mm -hmm. When I do that on a relatively regular basis, I believe I'm successful. So success is not a feeling, by the way. I don't think I feel successful. I feel good or bad. I feel happy or sad. I feel maybe even in a flow or stuck. Those things are true. But in terms of success, for me, I do think I have known for a long time that if I'm just writing consistently, even if it's 10 minutes a day, then I'm a writer Mm -hmm. and I'm successful. Now, of course, other things around money or fame or fortune, those have really changed for me. I remember, so I lived at the Oregon coast and I came in to see a writer I didn't know in real life who was in an online writing group of mine. And she had had quite a bit of what I thought would have been Mm -hmm. traditional success in the sense that she had an agent and a publisher and even a PR person. You know, I think the next level after that is somebody who styles you. Right. Right. One can only dream. So she had all those things. And I go to her reading that had been well publicized. It was at a well-known bookstore in town. And there was a handful of people there. I had read the book and was super happy to meet her. And she was a lovely individual. That book is called The Given World. It was a good lesson for me. And that was relatively recently. But it was just another level for me of being like, you know, writing is writing. Mm -hmm. And being a writer, it's not really about who shows up to the reading and how many books we're selling. It's really if I feel that I've done the best with a project that I can do and really gotten everything I need to into it just do the best you can so Mm -hmm. that's what I think is successful and why a book becomes successful successful in terms of those traditional benchmarks is much more mysterious and has to do with maybe karma or how the planets are aligned or just that stuff that's impossible to say yeah exactly (laughs) you know word of mouth I mean obviously we all have to promote our own stuff I think no matter how much success you have in terms of those traditional benchmarks you still have to do that stuff there's good and bad to every job and that was my yeah. lesson watching Marianne was it was a lovely event she was lovely I just from my point of view realized a job is a job every job has good stuff and bad stuff being a writer who gets to create and put it out there you know that's a pretty good thing if you were to look back on your life now with the benefit of distance can you feel any way to sort of categorize or describe the phases of your writing career oh I think so so I'm super grateful that I got to go to college and I got got to be in a writing program and it was super hard and I learned a ton in terms of the writing craft and also quite a bit in there about discipline because even though that was an undergraduate program that was graduate level work that we did so not only my own writing but also how to analyze other people's writing and to really understand craft in a deep way I don't think that that's the only way to do it that's just what I got to do and it was stressful at many times it's funny looking back thinking oh you're so stressed out because you had to study a poem that was hard yeah. That's your biggest problem, right? right? right. I have those memories too. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah. So I recognize that. Yeah, and then after that, I went through a long period of time of not believing that being a writer was something I could do in the world on a regular kind of basis. So I always wrote, but for a long time, I didn't try to do anything with it, sell it, query, put it out there. That was a long time ago. So the internet Industry didn't actually exist. just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little older. So, you know, we were mailing things. I think yeah. I did that sometimes, you know, with stamps and stuff. So. Yeah, I say, I see, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. 
I spent a lot of time after that just working Mm -hmm. and knowing about work. And yet I always wanted to be a writer when I was a writer. And so I wish I spent less time wanting to be a writer and just worked my job so I could pay the rent and eat and stuff. And then also wrote and just saw it more as like a job instead of thinking I needed to get to some level to be a writer. Right, to be allowed. To be allowed to play. And that's a mystery because I grew up with plenty of privileges. Um, I am a woman. And so some people told me I shouldn't do things because I'm a woman and but generally speaking I got told at least by my family you know you can do whatever you want so I created a lot of that mayhem kind of in my own brain mm-hmm. honestly and then I went back to graduate school on my own because I just had to admit that I, I had been working in violence prevention and nonprofit work and I liked that a lot but ultimately I had to say I actually really love literature and I think stories are where it's at so I'm going to go back to graduate school so I can teach I could have gone and done like a teaching program but I really wanted to teach at community college I really love that population of students who are sort of non-traditional, very diverse in terms of ages and backgrounds. And I was, again, in a rural area. So I was really lucky. I got a job teaching right out of graduate school. And it was a great thing for me to get to share on a regular basis with students. I was an adjunct there for 16 years. And, you know, I had a kid in there. I had other jobs in there because you can't really also live on being an adjunct. But I had a lot of flexibility Mm -hmm. to be a mom and to really just be a writer, even though what I was selling or if I had an agent kind of came and went sometimes Mm -hmm. in that process I still was a writer who produced a lot of stuff whether you read it or not someday I hope more people do of course that's why I write to connect with other individuals so of course I would like to do that more on bigger levels but generally that was a great little life I had for about 24 years and watched a couple bookstores close in that time but watched a couple stay alive Mm. I have to say I mean the coast but also here in Portland the booksellers you know once I did publish my first novel. Moorings for everybody. Yeah, it's it was great. called Moorings. It was my graduate school work. I took another few years, just a few, to turn <laughs> it into a book. Finally published it. And the independent booksellers, that was just, well, there were there are no commercial booksellers on the coast, which is kind of nice. And again, some of that was pre-Amazon. Amazon at the level that it is now. Right. The independent booksellers that were there at the coast and all the little places along the way just are amazing and super wonderful people who were very supportive of local writers on the whole and also recognize that that building of community we did a lot of great events with local booksellers at bookstores that brought in people because they were my friends or my part of my community or even old you know students former students who would come in and hadn't been in that bookstore yet yeah you know and stepped a foot in a bookstore where they hadn't been so I really liked that whole aspect of it and I was really glad to be a part of it that and that was a big kind of long phase the next phase is a little bit of a mystery to me I think I'm now I'm working a full-time job with some flexibility but not as much as I used to have I've always really been you know a big part of writing for me has always been social justice work you know doing work that at least moves the needle more towards social justice the moral arc of the universe you know bends that way I want to help bend it that way (laughs) not the other way so you feel like the phase you're in now is almost like you're combining the two big flows of your life the career flows well everything is hindsight right so in those times being an adjunct and doing violence prevention work on and off as an employee or a consultant and then being a mom which we're so grateful that we had that opportunity while my spouse worked doing what they do I'm so grateful about that but I used to think I didn't make enough money or it was always a struggle or what I'm not a very positive person (laughs) so I really actually hope that my new phase is being a little bit more positive about the way things are right now and that is tough in these times because there's a lot of shit going 
down that it's hard to be happy and it's hard to be feeling positive, I think. Yet, who am I to not feel positive? You know, I have every single thing that I need every day. I mean, I say a little right. prayer just every day. just don't use guilt for that, right? Yeah. Just have it. I'm reading a book about the Buddhist Brahmin Viharas, which are virtues, as I understand it. The one that I looked at and went, oh! okay that's the one we're aiming for then because I'm lowest on that one is equanimity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the sort of feeling of you're not all the things you want to be but you can still accept the world as it is and accept yourself as it is and I'm like okay this is this is definitely something to focus on soon I think that's exactly it actually for me to just be with how things are right now and I was injured such an interesting thing that for instance one of the things that's not happening in the world right now is you know access and understanding and Uh, support for people with disabilities and I think that's wild because any of us can become disabled at any moment it just takes one accident and so for me I've always known that's true you know part of the work I had done around social justice was working and advocating for people with disabilities but now I am one you know and so Mm. it's just an interesting thing and so that has really helped me in this weird way get literally grounded you know I couldn't walk for five weeks and walking now is tough so I'm not taking big long walks and I'm just getting more grounded and it's been humbling and a good way I'm all right with it I have had a project in the works for a long time that I've just struggled with the voice and the structure Mm -hmm. so some of the basic elements I just have not quite gotten a grip on it's definitely like animals like bird by bird man that thing is just chipping away at it so that is not one of those times where it's just come it's not being downloaded Mm -hmm. from the universe that's for sure and it's nonfiction, which I just think for all the memoir writers out there just more power to you because I think that is so hard because the beginning middle okay fine maybe but the end like where does it end you're you're still alive how do you get to the end and I I get it I understand the concept of bookends in a memoir in particular but to really get all the pieces in there I I found that the most challenging do you have any favorite memoirs well I do there's a great memoir by George Semprin who was a German writer it's called literature or life and that is probably literature or life uh uh-huh because he was a holocaust survivor and that is a beautiful beautiful memoir i also just read another one by gail brandeis the art of the misdiagnosis this book was so beautifully structured she used letters that she was writing to her mother and then pieces of evidence from her mother's story i thought it was really smart and it was really engaging you knew what happened it was one of those memoirs you know how it ends from the very beginning somebody dies yet it just pulled you right through so i think that's so well done when people can do that with a memoir also in my memoir nobody dies nobody got divorced i honestly wasn't really traumatized i'm trying to write about growing up with privilege and choosing social justice and choosing to have less rather than have more which is what our culture so often says Mm -hmm. and it's really hard for me to write about that and not sound completely solipsistic or self-gratifying you know it wasn't a pretty journey getting there in a lot of ways so I haven't figured it out but I'm gonna okay I'm also reading Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, Mm -hmm. which I've never read and have always wanted to read. And I'm reading it very slowly. I'm enjoying that. Definitely. Yeah. I want to ask where you got this. So was it the undergraduate program or was it since then that you concentrated on poetry forms? Because you've got a lot going on in Oregon Pacific and you've got all these very detailed, very academic or specialized forms that you've poured your words into that are about social justice, that are about place and setting really personal 
personal. Where did that start? I, Why that challenge in particular, maybe? So I'm a big fan of form follows function. I love form, I think, is the deal. I loved studying form. In my undergraduate program, I had a professor named Mary Kinsey, who's a poet, but she's also wrote a book since I graduated college that was called The Poet's... Oh, jeez, Louise. I gotta look up these books. The Poet's Guide to Poetry... So yes, Mary Kinsey was my poetry professor in college and she ran the program that um, I went to and it was a rigorous program and she was a rigorous teacher. I called her fondly my mentor and my tormentor. Oh, nice. Yes. That's a good, yeah, that's a good term. And I have a complex love for her, but mm -hmm. that book, if you're serious about poetry and really want to understand how the elements work in a poem, read that book. I have made the mistake of trying to give little parts of it, just parts of, to my students. It is deep level work. I'm into it. And I have to say, that's where Mary was my mentor. I just, she taught me to love every aspect of a word, every aspect of poetry from the syntax to the line, to the diction, to the metaphor, to the whole thing. And that's how I taught my classes with students. And so teaching poetry, of course, you always teach what you have to learn. I taught poetry as literature and I taught poetry classes as creative writing and loved it and tried to express my love for it to my students and used form as a way to help them understand how those elements work because when you're forced into form say a sonnet you have to end your line you can't keep going and then you have to rhyme it if we're doing a formal sonnet that way and you have to rhyme it not with the next line but the line after that and so it has to also make sense as a concept you can't just have it in a line and then the next line so you're also making a whole argument so I always saw it in those ways of the parts that make up the whole and the other thing I would argue to my students and maybe they would argue against me, but the idea is that the form squeezes things out of your unconscious that you didn't know were there. Because you have to rhyme, say, these two, the A and the C lines, you have to then find something that wasn't what your will wanted. Right. But it's Not something... Not immediately there for you to grab. Yes. You had to, like, dig down to Yeah, it. and those surprises that come out because the form squeezes it out of you, I think, are the most fascinating and wonderful thing. So, so maybe this is the answer to people who have writer's block because they have too many choices. Exactly. Here, here's your homework. Yeah. And that's <laughs> right. why I think the memoir thing is so hard. It's like, how yeah. do you choose your whole life, your whole life yeah, yeah. what's important? Exactly. I've it's heard all that. important. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and then at the same time, sometimes with a memoir, you do need more space and not so much constriction. You know, I think that that's where form follows function. But even within the kinds of poems, right? So sonnets, for instance, typically are about love to a beloved and so already that form has a function whereas an ode would be something for something gone by often people who are dead or things that are dead or an elegy so those things have a function that are kind of preordained you know I think of course I'm such a nerd I think fascinating to read about so I also have my like poets encyclopedia so I can look these <laughs> things up and find out what was this form about why did people write yeah. these and back in the good old days before Twitter people sat together and wrote poetry and thought about how can we write these poems together. A famous poem called Ozymandias was one of those poems that was written in a salon around a table. Some of it was even like macho, I can write this better than you. Instead of building walls, people mm -hmm. would try to build poems that were more interesting or better than the next guy. Could you imagine? Can we go back to that a little bit? Like and, that one solved so, some problems. Yeah. And of course that whole poem is about the fall of the great one, right? So it's about how every everybody dies. So you might as well get used to it. Stop trying to turn back time. Yeah, back and stop trying to make your power be more important than somebody else's power and mm. just know that you're going to die someday so write a poem instead of trying to like freaking imprison people right yeah. so 
Sounds good. Again, social justice comes into it. Everything I do. So you've got a novel, you've got poems. Any other like story forms kicking around in there? You know what I'm leading to to ask? I don't. Do you feel like lyrics coming on? Oh, <laughs> yep. Yes. I have a I have this a musical a, in me. This and is a loaded question because Nancy yep. and I both love Hamilton and went to see it together here in Portland. Yes. All grace be to Lin Manuel, who's helped change that form. Right. Musical theater has had a long history. Somebody who can come in, understand the form of musical theater, which has mm-hmm. many components, mm-hmm. not just the writing, of course and turn it into something new but still be within the theater right right and i think that's what's so wonderful about that not and not just hamilton you know in the heights too i think did that really first for him because it was about things that weren't traditionally in the musical theater right yeah so i have written a book of short stories sitting in a drawer and again the short story is its own form i have a form that doesn't like me by the way yeah i don't know that that's my best form so yeah, that's something that I was, I kind of want to get back into, but I also have this memoir kicking around. So I just, I don't know how to do it all at the same time. The one thing about being a writer is to not be so attached to the project at hand every single day. I definitely think there's a time and a place. And if you're getting to go on a retreat to finish your book, please do it and don't start writing a play. But sometimes when you're in the middle of something and the flow is not happening, I think it's okay to spend a couple days writing in the play and go back to the memoir because they will inform each other right again form follows function so those forms will have a function that will inform you about your other project i think we get a little too rigid sometimes instead of allowing creativity to really run the show rather than us run creativity so when i was hearing about your forms and poetry it made me think that i do that a lot with material culture and how i get really fascinated about things that we don't use anymore and Mm -hmm. what they meant to people in the Mm -hmm. past and Mm -hmm. that's how i sort Mm -hmm. of nerd out and do all my research Mm -hmm. on that and yeah that's what i like dropping into things you each have a thing you want to dive into and like learn about life through you know right I think that's true and I think that we are often told in the world that we shouldn't care about this or that or the other thing and our real task is being like this is what I love so screw the rest of you this is what I'm doing (laughs) I love it for a reason (laughs) yeah I love it and this is who I am and sometimes we have to come back full circle to realize oh this is who I've always been do you want to talk about a writer stereotype you take issue with I generally take issue I think many people do it and still buy into it which is kind of sad the whole suffering writer thing Mm -hmm. the tortured artist I don't really buy into that I'm a I'm a fan of Julia Cameron and so if you're somebody who's buying into the whole I'm a tortured artist thing read the artist's way and yeah. morning pages. I think that stuff is great because I really see writing as a spiritual practice. I think a lot of art can be, so it's not just writing. And I actually listened to another podcast with the actor Rain Wilson, who I like a lot. He talked about art as devotion and discipline as a form of devotion. That's how I see it. I'm not a particularly religious person. I'm not devoted to any religion, but if I can stay disciplined in my writing, then I'm being devotional and I'm doing my devotionals at least most days. I would say that, you know, to my students all the time. You don't need to save this poem that is due next week until next week. You could write a little bit about it every day and that devotion will lead to something greater than you would have done if you had waited every day. And some people can pump it up and sometimes you get to but it's really more about that discipline. So that's my goal. That's you know this new phase of my life is to really get back to being disciplined. I got a little thrown out kind of literally by being injured and so I need to get back to that. Even if it's just a page a day you know Stephen King a page a day is a book a year and just work on that. Have you ever 
loved someone's art who you hated as a person or yes. disliked intensely? Well, I have certainly <laughs> seen some, you know, I've loved writers and then I go see them speak and mm-hmm. I'm like, really? <laughs> that makes me sad. Won't name any names on Mystery. that. Mystery. And yeah, I once heard a writer say something, I took a workshop once and heard a writer say something crappy about another writer. There is so much difficulty in the world. Life yeah. is hard for lots of people in lots of ways, some more than others. And so why would we do that as writers? If we have the privilege of getting to sit here and write, and this was a relatively famous writer who had had plenty of traditional kinds of success, and she kind of dissed this other writer, and I was really bummed about that, and mm-hmm. it shifted my whole perspective. So I just think writing is hard, putting your heart and soul, having devotion, not worrying about where the money's coming from for five minutes so that you can have your discipline. Anybody who does that deserves praise. Sure, we can offer helpful criticism and constructive feedback. Why be mean? I just don't think there's any any reason for that. So my influential writers have been, my parents handed me some poetry, my Angelou's poetry collection, one of her early ones, Alice Walker. They handed me a couple other people. There's another poet named Thomas McGrath who was very influential when I was in college. A lot of those writers you know, they really write about social justice, um, Joy Harjo. I had read those poems and saw how they transformed me. I was a white girl in the suburbs, you know, and I was reading Maya Angelou's work and, and poetry. I learned things about different people and what it's like and saw that even though I was being told every day in various ways, all men are created equal and America, the great. Right. Yeah. The playing field is even. Yeah. I would read yeah. these writers who had other things things to say about that. Mm. So I, I got to realize through writing early on young that not all people are treated equal. That was not okay with me. I credit my parents a lot for also having that point of view, not pushing it on me, but being like, you love poetry? Here's some things. I think my dad would say, I didn't know anything about poetry. He went to a bookstore owner in Little Wilmette, Illinois. Oh and said, I think I heard this poet on, like, Oprah, because ah! this is back in yeah, the yeah, days when yeah. Oprah had, you know, Chicago shows right. that were... Three o'clock every day, right? Yeah, you know, totally when I came home from not school. syndicated or anything yet, and... <laughs> saw my Angela and was like, I saw this poet. Do you know who it was? And the wow. bookstore owner knew who she was and was like, yep, here's the book you want. And he gave it to me. Those things changed how I saw the world and what I wanted to be in it. That's great. So there's a big relationship for me between social justice and writing. I think that's true for all art. Work. So it should be having a heyday right now, right? Because there's so much to fight against. Well, and in some ways, I think there's some great writing happening. I know it's still, there's gatekeepers in the publishing world and in all the worlds. I think those of us who have privileges should put out the platform that says I'm not going to do this panel until we get right. a diverse group of people here right. because maybe I get invited to the party but I'm not going to be at the party until everybody is there. You know Barry Lopez he said once this is not a quote because I'm terrible at quoting people but the real work is doing you know having the courage to do the right thing even though you may never see the fruits of your labor. This has been a great time. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Another read through is a queer owned independent bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Our mission is to keep Portland reading and support queer and local authors. We host many events every month, including author readings, panel discussions, and book clubs. Check us out at anotherreadthrough.com or on North Mississippi Avenue starting every day at 11 a.m. Follow us on Twitter at anotherread or on Instagram at anotherreadthrough. This episode was produced by me, Cal Spivey. Our theme music is by Zach Anger. Links and book lists are in the episode description. Happy reading!